Okay, open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter 6. As I told you, we we're going to start our series in, in this chapter. Uh, very important chapter in terms of Christian life. book of Romans very often is outlined this way. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 uh, talk about condemnation. 4 and 5 talk about justification. 6 through 8, sanctification. 9 through 11, election. And then 12 through 15, or 12, I'm sorry, 12 through 16, application. You know, the practical application. And, and, and while you know me, I, I am very much of an advocate of, of macro views of books and, and, and getting an overall view. Because whenever you interpret, you need to always make sure you interpret the, the detail in terms of the whole. And, and, and so I'm very much in favor of that. But the downside of doing that sometimes is sometimes we, have a, we can have a tendency to impose um, an artificial outline on the text. But when we really start looking at the text itself, uh, it may, may not really fit that, that nice outline. And I think Romans, Romans 6 is just that. Um, I don't think that Romans 6 through 8 starts a brand new section talking about sanctification. Uh, but I think, in fact, uh, Romans 6 and 7 are, in fact, a parenthesis to an argument that he makes in chapters 5. And he's, he's going to raise these issues that we will look at. Uh, as we go through chapter 6, we'll be referring back to chapter 5 because, again... This is this. I, I, hate to, I don't want to say really a digression. He doesn't digress. He simply um, goes aside, as, as Paul was, was wont to do, to, to step aside and explain more further what he had just said about, in this case, about justification. So what we want to talk about today is, is really, uh, I think, one of the most important aspects um, in, in terms of our Christian life, when we think of a Christian life, and that is our relationship to sin. Uh, indeed, the, the, the book of Romans in 3.23 says what? For all have sinned. So this is something that, we all, that relates to all, to all of us. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then Romans 6.23, because the, the next question would be, well, what's the big deal? So I sinned a little bit. A little white lie here and there. I sinned a little bit. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is Romans 6.23 saying that the wages of sin is death. So our relationship to death, both as when we were unbelievers, but even so as now believers in Christ, is vital to our relationship in terms of our Christian life. Now, this relationship is typically uh, addressed as grace versus works. Uh, that our relationship to sin, certainly as believers, and that was unbelievers for that matter, is this, is this dichotomy between grace versus works. And, and, to be, and to be sure, those are antithetical. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, by grace you've been saved through faith. By the way, you weren't saved by faith. Let's get it right. You were saved by grace. The ground of our salvation was His grace through our faith. Our faith was the mechanism by which we received that gift. But we're, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, the Bible clearly, clearly does distinguish and, and divide grace and works. You can't have grace and works. They're antithetical. Well, this morning, though, in, in Romans chapter 6, we're going we're gonna to see maybe um, a different... To, to see our relationship to sin from a kind of a different angle. 
Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, look back with me at verse 1. What question is being posed here? Now, obviously, uh, and and it really doesn't matter, but this is something that Paul is either an objection, it's in the form of a question, but really, it's an objection. Either Paul is anticipating this question based on what he's just said, or he is actually... This has actually been presented with this objection to what he just said. So let's look again. Go ahead and look at your Bible. Look at verse 1. What question is being asked here? What objection is being made here? Grace. Okay, what? So, so. Okay, good. Flesh that out a little bit, Neil. So, what's the objection? In verse 1. You're right. What is he saying? Okay, let me read it again. Then we, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is it good to yeah. It, it, <laughs> he's saying, he, the, if you just look at this question, he's saying, hey, <laughs> sin is, can be a good thing because the more I sin, the more grace I get. And he kind of said that in 5.20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, this is, the, this is the objection that Paul deals with. So, in order to understand why they would have that objection, we have to look back in chapter 5. And really, it goes back to chapter 5. Go back with me to verse 12. In 12 through 21, in essence... Paul is going to make a, a, two, two well, comparisons and contrasts. He's going to compare Adam and Christ, and he's going to contrast the work of Adam and Christ. So he's going to compare Adam and Christ, and he's going to com- contrast the work of Adam and contrast the work of Christ. And in this section, he brings out two totally different aspects of our relationship to sin. Uh, let's look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now, a lot has been written about that statement. Don't get hung up on that right now. Here's what I want you to see is verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned. You might want to underline that. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So he's saying that from the time of Adam, death reigned. Now, what do we mean by reign? What's a reign? R-E-I-G-N. It's hard for us because we don't live in a monarchy. Well, okay. Uh, What's a monarchy? What's reign? What does it mean 
for a king, let's, okay, what does it mean for a king to reign? Rule over. So it's to rule. Uh, a reign is, is a dominating power or an influence. So when he says we lived under the reign of sin, we lived under, before we came in, when we were in Adam, when Adam represented us, before Christ represented us, we, we lived under the reign of sin and death. Look at me again at um, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned, we see it again, through the one, much more those who receive abundance and grace. Verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness, the free act, or, or the, free, the act of free gift came to all men, resulting in justification. So the, here's what the reign of sin is. The reign of sin came by all those whom Adam represented. And who did Adam represent? All of us. And what was the result of the reign of sin? Death, condemnation, and judgment. That was our relationship prior to Christ. Death, condemnation, and judgment. But Paul says now there is a new reign, and that is the reign of grace. Uh, Look with me again at verse 17. If forth by one man's offense death reigned, and through the one much more, those who receive abundance of grace... And the gift of righteousness will reign in life. So the phrase, abundance of grace will reign, goes together. So now we have the reign of grace. Look down at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, in other words, in the same way, in in the same way that, that death, condemnation, and judgment reigned under Adam, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he makes it clear that we are now under the reign of grace. That means we are now in Christ. And what does it mean to be in Christ? That's a, that is a, one of Paul's most favorite phrases. In Christ, in Him. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that we are in union with Him. It means that we are in solidarity with Him. It means that whatever is His is ours. And He's going to flesh this out more in in verses 3 through 14. But He says, before we came to know Christ, we were under the reign of sin. We were were under the reign uh, in, in terms of our union with Adam. All that was Adam's was ours, which was death, condemnation, and judgment. Now we are under the reign of grace. We are in Christ. And now, the power, the dominating influence and power in our life is no longer death. It's no longer sin. Because death and sin go together. It is now grace. So Paul in chapter 5, and in, in fact, let's just read verses 20 and 21 again, because those are the ones that immediately precede this objection. He says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And, and, and sin abounds. But when sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to what? To eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying that grace started it and grace will take you all the way to the end. 
Now, we are under the power, we're under the dominion, uh, the influence of grace. And Paul says nothing can prevent our final salvation or our final redemption. Back to verse 1. This objection can take many different forms. So Paul has just said grace will start it and grace will finish it. Where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. This objection in verse 1 can take many different forms. Let me offer maybe some different forms that this can take. Quote, well, if everything depends on grace, then that means someone can live however they want. If where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, then I can live however I want. I'm under grace. Here's another objection that I hear. It can't really be by grace alone because that would remove all incentives to upright living. I mean, I mean if, we, if we tell people it's all of grace, then they'll just throw it in their bag of tricks and keep on living the way they, they've always lived. We can't tell them that. Or third, I mean, a convert has to have some skin in the game. Or he'll just go on living as he did before. Maybe even more sinful. Because now he feels like, well, my sins are covered. Okay, so here's my, here's my question to you guys. Here's the $64,000 question. What is the nature of grace that Paul preached that would generate this kind of objection? What kind of message of grace generates these kinds of objections? If, in fact, Paul said, you know what, yeah, it's by grace and grace alone. But you've got to be really sincere about this. You've got you to really count the cost. You've got to really know what, you gotta know what, you, what you're really getting, in, getting into here. You've got to know, know, understand the whole package. Would that generate this kind of question? What, here's my question, guys. What generates this kind of objection? You don't have to answer. Just think about it for a minute. What would generate a kind of question that says, well, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I've offered you three. What did they hear Paul saying that would raise this kind of objection? Did they hear Paul say, you know, it's by grace, but you have a part too? No, they wouldn't raise this objection for that. Let's start in Romans chapter 3, because this all precedes chapter 6, obviously. What did they hear Paul saying? Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, the righteousness from God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, 
And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Just believe. Chapter 4, verses 24 and 24. Uh, uh, see, I said it too quick, Susie. 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, being Abraham, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, plus what? Nothing. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we just read verses 20 through 21. So again, I ask the question. What did they hear Paul say? See, only a gospel of true grace could produce this kind of objection. Again, would they have, would they have, who would oppose an objection to a, a gospel of grace that says it's grace, but you have to do some things um, if you're going to be held accountable? I don't know. Would, would, would they object to uh, uh, it's grace, but there are go- there's going to be a lot of demands and sacrifices that you're going to have to be willing to make. Are you willing to make those? God is going to keep a sharp eye on you, and you're really going to have to walk a straight line. What would have been his response to John chapter 5? Verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Not long ago we were in the book of Acts. We went through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, verse 42 and 43. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it was He who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him, to Jesus, all the prophets witness that through His name, whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins. What about 13.38? Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by Him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You remember 16, chapter 16, 30 through 31. And he, the jailer, brought them out and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You. And your household. Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. 
There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all and will call upon Him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. By the way, Tom, verse 11, I just realized, might give us some insight into that whole shame thing. Ashamed. So remind me to, let's revisit that. 1 John chapter 5. And we went through 1 John in our home group. And, I, and, and if, you've, if you've been through 1 John, I call him the, the apostle of black and white. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. So, so John is very much in, an, in his epistle. You're, you're in or out. These things I've written to you who, what? Hope? No. To those who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know that you have eternal life. How do, they, how do you know you can have eternal life? According to 5.13, believe. Now let me ask you this. What might the group that, that objected in verse 1, what might they say to these verses? What, the, what might their objection be to these verses? You, you mean it's just believing? Can't be. Can't be. Now, usually when Christians hear this, they interpret this as, as mere intellectual assent. So when the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, they say, well, that's just intellectual assent. No, that's not just intellectual assent. It's not believe that Jesus lived. It's believe in Jesus. And, and his opponent said, it, it can't be that easy. You, you got you to, they can't just, it can't just be just believe. Especially for Jews, what would they say? What about the law? Paul's going to talk about that in Romans chapter 7. Chapter 6, he's going to be talking about this issue of grace and sin. 7, he's going to say, well, what about the law? What does grace do to the law? It's, it's more than just believing. It's got to be. Otherwise, they just do whatever they want. They'll sense that grace might abound. Well, it's interesting, therefore, how Paul responds to this. Look at verse 2. Look at his response. I'm sorry, back to Romans chapter 6, verse 2. How does Paul respond to this objection? First of all, I want us to look at what he does not do. He doesn't backtrack what he just said about grace. He didn't say, well, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that it's just by grace alone. You've misunderstood me. He doesn't try to change grace. No, it's, 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 it's grace alone. But let me explain about how that works. He, he, he didn't change his message to make it so that they wouldn't have this objection anymore. The problem was not what he said. The problem was they misunderstood the meaning of what he said. Look at verse 2. Certainly not. This is um, the strongest way in Greek that you can, you can negate something. Uh, our translations do all kinds of things here. God forbid, may it never be, perish the thought. Uh, this is the strongest way he could say, no way. You see, they understood what Paul had said, 
And Paul didn't correct himself. See, but the problem was they misunderstood the nature of grace. The nature of grace. He says, how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? So he answers their question with a question which was stereotypically Jewish. This is rabbinic. Rabbis would answer questions with questions. Let's remind ourselves, our relationship to sin as unbelievers was what? We were under the reign of sin, the power, the domination, the influence of sin. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 2.1 says what? We were dead in sin. In our union with Adam, in our relationship with sin, we were dead in sin. And this is, in fact, what he says in in chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. You were under the reign of sin. We were dead in sin. It brought death. We were dead in sin. In our union with sin, we were dead. What does Paul say about our relationship to sin now, in terms of grace? We are no longer dead in sin. We have what? Well, we have died to sin. And that's a, dis- a huge distinction. Just those two prepositions. Dead in sin, died to sin. The died is what we call aorist tense. And, and preachers always use this to, to impress you and probably to justify the, the, the exorbitant amount of money they spend on seminary. Aorist is just the most, most average tense that Greek can use. There's nothing significant about aorist tense. Aorist tense, in terms of verbal aspect, is just a, a simple action that, 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 that's been completed. That's all it is. And Paul is saying, you've died. You've died to sin. Notice he doesn't say you are becoming more and more dead to sin. You're not progressively becoming more dead to sin. You are not renouncing sin. He doesn't say you will someday be dead to sin. What does he say? You are right now dead to sin. You've died to sin. What does that mean? What, what's, what's the metaphor of death? We, 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 we talk about inability. One way, if someone dies, if, if I croaked over of COVID-19 and I'm laying dead on the floor, what's the, what's the, what's the uh, characteristics of someone who's dead? Not a <laughs> Mr. Webster here. Unresponsive. If, if you came up to me and screamed and poked me with a sword, would, would there be any response? Sword? Why did I say sword? I don't know. <laughs> Please leave your swords at home. We don't. We, we can't have that here. Okay, which knife? A pen, okay. So, it's, so, one aspect of death is inability. Another aspect of death is unresponsiveness. There's, there's a sense of, you could talk about free from all of those outside influences. 
what does it mean when we says he, we have died to sin? Because we, we look at our lives, you know, we look at our, our spouse's life for sure and say people still do sin. Um, what does it mean? Uh, let, let me offer a couple things that, that I think that this comprises and, and hopefully show you in context. To, to be, when he says we've died to sin means that we are, we are now free from the guilt of sin. It doesn't mean that we stop sinning. See, he's talking about our position right now. And, and, we're gonna, and in, in verses 15 through 23, he's going to talk about our practice. So we have to make sure we don't mingle in practice and position. He's talking about our position. He's saying, we have died to sin. In the sense of, we have died to the legal guilt of sin. Where do I get that? Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there, and, and which is, by the way, chapter 8, I argue, is a culmination of the argument that he, built, that he builds in chapter 5. In other words, if you go from the end of chapter 5 to chapter 8, it fits very nicely. Six and seven are a, a, a parentheses to deal with this issue of grace alone in relation to sin, grace alone as it relates to the law. In chapter eight, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In who are in union with Christ Jesus. So when we are when we have died to sin, as he died to sin, we are free from the guilt of sin, from legal guilt. In fact, that's what justification is. God says you're not guilty. But maybe more importantly in this context, to be, to, to when he says you've died from sin, if you look at the context in chapter 5, he says you've died from the power of... You are free from the power of sin, from the reign of sin. You are no longer in the reign of sin. You are free from the power and the dominion of sin. I, I love how Paul said it to the church in, in Colossae when he said this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, of His love, in whom we have redemption through through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Here he uses a transference from one kingdom to another kingdom. Okay, here's the key, guys. I think this is Paul's response to this. Well, it's got to be more than grace alone. He says, no, because grace... Grace frees us from sin. It doesn't free us to sin. And this is why it's not mere intellectual assent. This addresses the whole issue of, well, if, if, if where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, why can't I just start sinning up a storm and, and I'll get more and more grace? This responds to the whole issue of, well, I've got to have some skin in the game. I've got to make some commitments. I've got to do something ahead of time. Grace frees us from sin, but it doesn't free us to sin. Again, this is our status. This is our position. And and Paul will now expand on this in verses 3 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. Grace is still grace. It's grace alone. But grace that saves, saves us and frees us from sin, not free us to sin. You see, I think what Romans 6 helps us, the Christian life, guys, is not just about understanding the difference between grace and works. 
but indeed it is also about understanding how grace works. We don't have to protect grace. We don't have to qualify grace. We just have to preach grace. Grace with any condition is not grace. And to preach biblical grace, I think based on chapter 6 verse 1 and other times in Paul's life, to preach, for us to preach biblical grace will inevitably produce these kinds of objections. So it doesn't matter how they live their life, they can go on sinning that grace may abound. If we preach the, the grace that Paul preached, we will face the same objections that Paul faced. Conversely, if our message is not open to this kind of characterization, if what we do preach is not open to this kind of objection, then I think we must honestly ask ourselves whether we are really representing true biblical grace. And I think Paul would say, grace, let it rain. Let's pray. Father, none of us here would ever assent to defining grace as, as mere intellectual uh, assent. And that's really not even the issue that, you, that, that, that Paul uh, faced. Father, I, I, I think we all recognize and are frustrated by those who, who give the appearance uh, of having walked an aisle, or signed a card, or raised a hand. Um, and then there's, there seems to be no apparent fruit. Father, I pray that you would not allow us in, in our caution in our frustration over those kinds of things that we've all seen to try to change grace and the message of grace alone Father your word challenges us as to how we do we really believe it's grace alone Father you challenge us when you say that the gospel which is grace is the power of God. It is a power that frees us from sin. It doesn't free us to sin. So God, I, I, even not even in our justification, but in, in our sanctification, I fear that so many Christians live defeated, frustrated lives because they, they are still trying to contribute to your grace. trying to live up to some kind of, I don't know, standard on their, in their own power, and their own will. But Father, more than anything else, we, we want to make sure as best we can that the gospel that Paul preached is the gospel that we will preach. 
And we will leave the results up to you. Father, finally, I thank you for grace that you extended to me. I, did, I had nothing. I, I brought nothing to the table. Uh, and, and Father, even to this day, I'm still working through uh, what it means for you to be in control of my life. In, in such an imperfect way that, that, uh, that I deal with sin in my life. Even after 40-some, 50-some years of walking with you. Father, may we never place an undue burden, an unbiblical burden, on those who are just coming to know you. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And everyone said... Amen. Would you please stand and uh, not join hands? I almost said it. I almost said it. Let's, what's that? Figuratively. Metaphorically join hands.